0: The quality of milk is far, far superior. You cannot get a better milk than a Jersey. We often get really good feedback about it to say it tastes like milk that we had growing up out of the vat.
1: This is The Producers. I'm Danny Fallant. After growing up and running wild on a dairy farm, Sally Jones founded Gippsland Jersey in 2016. She ensures farmers are paid a fair price for milk, promotes mental health and well-being in rural communities, and approaches every business situation with kindness foremost in mind. It's been a complex and challenging journey, fortified by community at every step of the way. And just a warning that this episode talks about suicide and mental illness.
0: I'm Sally Jones, and I'm the uh, co-founder of Gippsland Jersey, which is a small boutique milk brand located in Gippsland, where we strive to pay farmers a fair price. We're about rural mental health and kindness. My upbringing was pretty unique in that um, I didn't go to school until grade six, uh, simply because there was too much going on on our farm and because mum and dad had created this business and whatnot. So we were unschooled. Um, very family orientated. My grandparents and um, auntie and uncle and cousins, et cetera, lived on the farm. It was relentless. We didn't go on family holidays. It was always about work, um, you know, but we really enjoyed it. We made our own fun, um, you know, just growing up with motorbikes and bonfires and damper and, Playing playing out of green greybles in our long dresses and all those sort of things. Like it was a magical childhood, but um, it wasn't necessarily conventional in terms of going on school holidays and and um, doing. Um, we did sport and things like that, but our holidays in involved going to Melbourne show and Sydney show and serving ice cream (laughs) and getting paid for it. And we'd always take our friends and stuff like that. But I guess for me, I was always um, intrigued about how people in the cities wanted to know about life on the farm. And when I did move to Melbourne, after I finished high school, I was attending the Melbourne farmers markets just to pay my school I'm sorry to pay my rent, and my grandpa used to leave lakes at three a.m. lakes entrance and um, meet me in Melbourne at the Collingwood Children's Farm, for example. And I remember, you know, setting up my little stall and and people coming up to the to the um, to the stand and saying, "Oh, tell me about what your cows eat, or tell me about um, the process of how this." Um, you know, ice creams made or whatever. And I just remember thinking, why do you want to know this?
1: (laughs) A bottle or carton of milk might seem straightforward and simple, but it's not easy to be a dairy farmer. What are some of the things city folk don't know about dairying and trying to make a dollar in the process? Dairy farming traditionally has always been a tough one to be in. So
0: my dad was a dairy farmer, so I grew up very much entrenched in that lifestyle and have seen and experienced firsthand what it is like. Um, So my own lived and personal story is that, um, you know, my dad was working offshore in the 80s to supplement the farm's income um, just because milk price has never been enough. And um, then I guess that sort of journey in him sort of realising that he was working off-farm really hard for, you know, two weeks on and two weeks off and tag teaming with my mum and, you know, us four kids, et cetera, that he decided to then value add to his milk. And that's when um, they started Riviera Ice Cream back in the 80s and I sort of grew up in the back of an ice cream shop and or making ice cream or, you know, milking cows. So that was sort of my upbringing to give some background. Um, and then I I, I guess... I'm, you know, uh, four decades into my life now and, you know, seeing that dairy farming really isn't any different. Like people, farmers have always, um, you know, still struggled and talked about the milk price. And as we've seen even six years ago when the dairy crisis did happen, it was absolutely um, devastating and just so wrong with what happened there. Um, That happened and then farmers were hit with four years of drought uh, where simply the grass didn't grow. Uh, It was just terrible. And then, um, you know, for some it was followed by bushfires. And, um, you know, obviously in the last year or two, the milk prices have come up, which is great. Um, but it's. I think we're only really starting to feel those
1: effects just because a milk price changes and you might have a good year it doesn't mean that it solves all the problems. Family-run dairy farms operate on the cows' schedule and they don't know about sleep-ins or weekends or holidays. What's it like in amongst the herding, milking, mooing and pooing? Cows are very much... Um,
0: you know, it's a herd. It's a herd mentality, and there's always leaders, and there's always your favourite cows. I had one called Lucy growing up, and she was a beautiful Jersey cow, and just beautifully natured. They're quite intuitive. Um, jerseys in particular are really friendly, <laughs> so they will come up and nudge you and lick you, and um, they're just beautiful animals, and um, we know why. You know they're such a sacred animal in India, for example, because they are—they are so a cow is so um, giving in its entirety, entirety because you know it gives milk and it, and um it can actually give meat as well. So it's seven days a week, twice a day, where you um yeah you get up in the morning and you put on your old clothes and your gum boots and go out on the motorbike and you round cows up and sometimes it's really cold and wet and rainy and you know you've just got to bear the elements then you come in and and the cows all stand out in the cowyard and and um they come in one by one you know in a in a line for us like we had a uh, an eight swing over dairy so cows come come um both sides of the um there's a pit so uh, um and then you sort of the the dairy platforms at about waist high, and then you have a whole set of milking cups. And so you go along the line, and you put on the milking cups. And you know, some cows might take, you know, two to five minutes to milk out. Um, you know, a cow can produce between 12 litres and 35 litres of milk each at each milking, um, depending on the cow and the breed, etc. And um, Yeah, it involves cow poo. (laughs) It involves, you know, your hair smelling. Actually, what's one thing I really despise about growing up in a dairy farming family was, you know, just the always constant, um, like if you go and milk the cows, if you go anywhere near the dairy, you somehow end up with cow poo smelling hair. (laughs) So, but... um. It's it was a it's a joy and look it is hard work and um, farmers that you know are in the industry deserve to be to be rewarded well for what they do you know it blows my mind that uh, you know there's a perception that you'll pay maybe more for a bottle of sparkling water than you will for a bottle of milk and if you actually see how much effort and energy goes into to creating that milk, um, I think you—I think most consumers would be happily happily pay a little bit more than, you know, the dollar twenty, that sort of is currently sitting in there for a home brand style milk.
1: Gippsland Jersey was founded in the fog of tremendous grief. Sally shares the story of her father Michael's struggles, successes, and eventual suicide. Growing up on a dairy farm, as I mentioned before, and and really seeing my dad,
0: especially being a pioneer in that space and going out and valuating to what he created. Um, And then also he had a milk brand called Riviera Hometown Milk where he flogged himself in terms of working 18 hours a day by um, milking the cows and then he bottled the milk, actually had them in cartons. And then he was the delivery man or the milkman and he used to go into Woolies at the time and just literally get his arm and spread front and centre and put his milk in the in the fridge. And I guess those were the days where there wasn't a whole lot of um, you know, um, rules and regulations on how you did things. So growing up in that space and seeing it, and then um, Parmalat at the time seeing how much of a threat he was, and they actually bought him out for a million dollars in the early nineties, which was incredible. Um, and really, I guess, you know, was amazing for a single dairy farmer to have a go and create something. And anyway, so I, um, uh, fast forward to 2016 when, uh, my dad was really suffering through some depression and some, Psychosis just because he lost his purpose. He wasn't, he, because of our family dynamics and, you know, things had changed and whatnot, he leased the farm and sold the business and um, didn't have an identity. And as a, as a, any man, especially if you're a um, r- person in rural area and you've grown up being a farmer or being a business owner or whatever, it's a very hard thing, um, especially if you've worked really hard and you don't have a lot of, um, leisure or you don't have any hobbies and things like that to put your energy into, uh, you just fade away and you lose, you'll lose your sense of purpose and that's what happened to my dad and we didn't realise I guess how serious it all was and never dreamt that he would actually take his own life which is what happened in 2016 devastating devastating for me because I was particularly quite close to him and um you know really um yeah just didn't dream of it and anyway a couple of weeks after that the dairy crisis happened and I um am very much part of the Warrigal farmers market and people were inundating our social media asking what milk can we buy we want to buy something that is going to profit farmers and, and not overseas companies. We want to support our our local farmers as well. And I guess just with a whole lot of grief and hurt in my heart and seeing all of this, I found, I thought in my mind, yes, this is something I can really sink my teeth into and I can channel my grief into creating something positive out of his life because this is what he did he he hated the injustice he would have di- you know he would have just been so angry if he was alive to see what had happened a few weeks after he died in terms of the the dairy crisis um which you know it's he was always fighting against being a price taker he was always wanting to set his own price a fair price it's, it wasn't crazy it's just like let's cover let's cover my costs here um and, um, anyway, so that's what we did i um have a friend Steve Ronald, who's a dairy farmer in Jindavik. He'd lost out in the dairy crisis and has beautiful Jersey herd and was like i want a, i want a value add to my own milk so we came together and um agreed on the three values about business, which I mentioned before you know it's about farmers getting paid a fair price, it's about smashing that stigma that's still very much attached to mental health in rural communities especially men and then the way we do business is in 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 kindness because um you know you don't know where people are at and you don't have to be you know you can choose the way that you respond to situations and the way you speak to people and it's just a it's a good attribute and um you know, just I don't know. There's just a lot of there's a lot of stuff and people just need a bit of more kindness in the in the world. So that's what we are, that's who we that's why why we do what we do. And after we'd had that conversation, it was three months later that we launched Gippsland Jersey at the Warrigal Farmers Market where we processed five thousand litres without knowing or having a real plan of how this was going to play out. We were very grateful for some of the local IGA supermarkets that said, we'll give you some shelf space. And honestly, that was incredible. We had we sold 2,000 litres at the Warrigal Farmers Market on that first day. People came and they lined up. People don't queue up in the country. <laughs> we don't queue up for anything. Um, there was a line and it was overwhelming and – the people have totally got behind us and supported Gippsland Jersey because they know what we're on about and um, we are so grateful. Now, that was all good. We were contract processing. So we had a, a family business processing for us, which was all good, but they um, did get a buyout and they told us, look, we have to move you guys on which came as a real shock because we didn't necessarily have a plan B. We thought we could find a plan B to process, but it was actually a lot harder because we're, we were too small or we were too big for whatever, you know, the processing people. That, look, there's not many places that process milk, you know. Um, so we found it incredibly hard. We had a big butcher's piece of butcher's paper where we had, names on the list. And we were literally going, picking up the phone and going through each one and putting a line through it. Now, the last option on that list was the Lakes lakes Entrance, which was the factory that my dad built, which we didn't necessarily want to do, but that was the only option we were left with. And my business partner, Steve, and I looked at each other and we're like, oh gosh, okay, what does this involve? And um, we didn't have a credit rating. We didn't Have any money in the bank? So we we crowdfunded, and we raised one hundred and ten thousand dollars in three weeks by asking people to pre-purchase bottles of milk. So get behind us and back us and believe in us. Which, oh, it was the most humbling experience of my life. (laughs) And um, that money enabled um, us to get that factory up and operating. Um, So it was very much, you know, thankfully Steve is a dairy farmer and a very practical person. And we were just very, very blessed with people coming along at the right time. Like we had a lot of volunteers show up because obviously the factory's located in Lakes Entrance and families that were, I guess, caravanning around Australia um, through our social media page and us just, I guess, making ourselves pretty vulnerable where we're at. Um, just showed up and they would just come and go, I'm a plumber or I'm a whatever. And they would just come and do things. And we're like, how does this happen? So we've now, um, we don't just process milk. We do um, other value added products such as the cultured butter and sour cream and buttermilk, pouring cream and ghee and things like that. So it's been a blessing in disguise in that we did get cut off from contract packing because it, we didn't know it at the time, but, you know, when you do get to, con- um, I guess, control the whole process, um, you can. it allows you to do other things.
1: Honouring her father's memory through a thriving, supportive business is enormous. The experience has been fortifying and healing for Sally personally, as well as rippling outwards to help others close and further afield. When I sit... In my dad's office in at
0: the same desk in the same chair and I look up and out the window and I just think holy moly like what what have we created what have we created and um, I'm immensely um, thankful for the opportunity because obviously everyone processes grief differently but for me it's given an opportunity to be to just go on the journey and to walk have conversations that my dad had with people and they'd share things. So it's been a discovery thing for me and that's been super helpful. And I think I've saved myself thousands of dollars in counselling and, and therapy. Um, But it's, for me, it's about being able to use my lived experience and um, have, I guess, insight and compassion towards other people that, might be going through or journeying through a similar experience and I've had like literally hundreds of conversations with people that are you know walking through this mental health uh, whatever you want to call it and you know it's just I guess I was very vulnerable at the start I remember when the Herald Sun came out and um, did a story and I thought they would talk about the dairy crisis angle, but they chose to talk about my side of the story, which was my dad's, my dad's suicide. And even like six years ago, mental health wasn't really that public. It wasn't really talked about. There was still very much stigma about it. And the media certainly weren't reporting or talking about suicide stories. And um, even I remember saying the words and thinking, have I said the wrong thing? Like, am I offending people? And uh, I had to get really, I guess, comfortable in my own skin in terms of just talking about, talking about it. And by doing that, um, it's then allowed others to open up and share their stories, which has gone on to us. Actually, we just create a calendar every year and it tells 12 dairy farmer stories. That living, the farmers are from Gippsland and they tell their mental health story. And it's been incredible because it's a platform for others to share their story. And it's not about the calendar, it's about the process. So it's incidental counselling where that farmer gets an opportunity to sit down and talk about their story at their kitchen table or on their farm with me and I truly like I go there like I I'm such an empath I feel the feels in my knees like I actually get tingles and you know all that kind of stuff so I I, I just my passion is people and community and I just I, I just love it um and we're always connected through the food and and obviously in this particular instance it's through the milk and um so farmers that have shared their stories, it's not it's not even about me or my dad or Gippsland Jersey. It's about all of these other farmers that have gone out there, shared their story publicly, and then and then their peers reading their story and reaching out to them. The ripple effect is amazing. One dairy farmer, Joe Magetto, who's um, out here in Warrigal. He's, he thinks that he's saved five people's lives by just putting himself out there and then taking phone calls and journeying that with other people, which, you know, potentially these farmers may not have gone to see their GP or whatever. Um, it's, mental health is not a one-shoe-fits-all. It's very much an individualised approach, and I believe that the more people that have first aid mental health training and the more we can look after our neighbours and and I guess be alert to the signs that someone might be struggling, um, it's really really important for us as as um, as a society and communities to look out for each other and take that individualised approach because we cannot rely on the medical system or the the government or whatever to do the work because it it's too much and it's you know, people get missed.
1: Gippsland Jersey started with the milk from co-founder Steve Ronald's Jersey Herd. Bit by bit, careful expansion has enabled the indie Milk brand to bring other farms and families into the fold. So we started with one farm, so that's Steve's farm. And
0: then as we've grown, every year we've taken on another farmer to, to supply milk to us, which is awesome because that actually says we have growth and um we're moving in the right direction. We haven't gone broke, you know, it's being fresh dairy. Like it's a very, very hard thing to do. And that's probably why, you know, we don't have a lot of little independent milk brands in Australia. There is so much rules, so many rules and regulations around it, but we do, we take on, it's not about um, one farm or one farmer or whatever us growing our our wealth or whatever you want to call it it's it's about wanting to bring as many people as we can so many farmers as we can on our journey so that they get paid a fair price so that their family farm can be sustainable into the future so that these smaller farms aren't you know don't just pack up shop because it's sort of the way that the industry is it's like get big or get out and you know, for me personally, I would rather milk drink uh, drink milk from um, a smaller, a smaller um, farm rather than industrialised farm. Um, so that's, I guess, our approach and our model. And um, we have got four incredible farming families uh, that are part of our family, and then we'll take on a fifth in the next month or two. And it's really important. To us, to Steve and I, about who comes on board, and it's like building a footy team. You need to make sure you've got the right people on the team that, I guess, respect our values and respect about what we're on about. They they're okay with sharing their stories. They understand our mental health um, position and 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 are on board with that. And they have their own story to share and whatnot. Um, and you know, for them, so, so um, I mean, I can talk about Sian. There at, Sian and Kevin, they're our last farmer to come on board um, last June. And I think for them, they're like, wow, we actually, we're seen and we're heard. So they're not a number at a big milk factory. They're Kevin and Sian LeBrock from Bravington. And their photo is on the back of the milk bra- the, the milk bottle for everyone to read about their story and they feel like they're being respected and it's worth getting out of bed for in the mornings. And, and they're, um,
1: yeah, so we're, like, it's, it's just a two-way awesome relationship. As a consumer, it's easy to take milk for granted, but the supply chain is extremely time-sensitive and built around constant flow. When you're small like Gippsland Jersey, it's hard to deal with dramatic ups and downs such as those posed by a pandemic and sudden lockdown.
0: The business that we're in with fresh milk is super hard because um it, once that milk is on the milk tanker, travelling to the factory, we pretty much have to have it pre-sold. It's a lot of um, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> So we have been caught out um, with pallets and pallets of milk, and certainly when the lockdowns happened, um, when food service shut and whatnot, we had I think there was twelve pallets of milk that got cancelled. And um, I was, we found out on the Friday lunchtime I think that lockdown happened, and we just processed all of that, like we just processed a whole lot of milk on a, on that Friday. And then we were due to reprocess again on the Monday. Now, our cool room is not big enough to hold two days' worth of um, milk, essentially, so we couldn't accommodate that 11 pallets. Anyway, I rang Steve and I said, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with this 11 pallets of milk? Like, I don't even know where you would go with this. So we decided to put it all on the truck, drive it to Melbourne, and we put a thing on Facebook to say – we're just heavily discounting boxes of milk, and because no one had anywhere to go, no one was going out. People just like bought these boxes of milk, and um, we went to, I think it was at Pakenham, to one of the car parks in Pakenham there, and we had cars waiting out on Princess Highway, blocking up, blocking up the freeway. Um, like people just showed up and and like we're just throwing milk cartons in the backs of boots and saying thank you so much like you know it just it was once again amazing that the support of people and, and them showing up when we need it
1: Prices for just about everything keep going up but milk lags behind Why is there resistance to paying more for milk? and what are the potential impacts of intransigence?
0: I was having this conversation this morning with um, one of our farmers actually, and saying, you know, the costs of everything have skyrocketed. Um, You know, cost of imports is just insane. And um, yet the cost of milk hasn't gone up yet. So, you know, um, petrol's gone up, for example straight away but milk like we won't see that increase we're now just going through all of these costs going okay we have to increase our our, our our price like it's it's not working for us but the we we won't we have to actually absorb all of these losses until we can catch up so we can't just implement a price increase straight away we need to give people and you know things time work it all out yeah so matt was just saying this morning to me that If farmers, you know, if this price doesn't sort of go up in a... They will get paid more, but it'll only be just a passing on of the the costs of the expenses, if that makes sense. So they're not actually necessarily going to get a pay rise. It's just going to be making sure that they can cover their costs of feed or fuel or whatever on their end. So, um, and people you know, they're getting a bit sick of it. I think the general can, look, there's some farmers that are so passionate and that's all they know and they love it, but there's some farmers that are going, starting to go, you know what, maybe it's not for me. Maybe we don't need to do this. Maybe we just swap to beef. Beef prices are amazing, you know. Um, So, yeah, dairy farmers, um, it's obvious, often a, intergenerational thing where farmers will hand, you know, or, you know, the, a child will take over that family farm and whatnot. But don't know. It could look very different going into the future. And also I think it's important to note that Australia officially now imports milk. We actually import dairy um, because we lost 3 billion litres out of the milk pool over the last few years. So, Um, the production of milk is only 9 billion litres and and we were at 12 billion and obviously um, growing population and things like that it is actually a concern The
1: Gippsland Jersey journey has been fuelled by emotion belief and a bit of real talk to supermarketeers What keeps Sally Jones going? I'm still really passionate about what I was I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't I think if you
0: ask me if I could go out and start a milk company now, if I, if I was about, if I was at the beginning of my journey, I would not have the energy. I wouldn't have the Stanima. I think for me, Gippsland Jersey was fueled by my grief. It was fueled by my passion. It was about, you know, wanting to channel that into something positive, which I feel like, you know, we, we have done and it's about, you know, being being a little bit of, um, no, it's about farmers and it's about respecting them and, and about paying them a fair price because um, they don't advocate for themselves. Farmers don't have the time. They don't have the you know ability to go out and do a protest or write letters or whatever. They just sort of just take whatever the milk companies give them. So we feel like in a little way, we're able to be a little bit of a thorn in the bigger company side. So Often when you buy milk off a a supermarket shelf, those milk brands are all owned by foreign countries, so Canadian, Japan, um, Japanese, whatever, Chinese. And so if you are mindful and you are wanting to make sure that the money stays local, check check the labels and try and support Australian where you can because we really we need to look after our own backyard um so I'm really passionate about um so for example we do have our full cream and light milk in Coles and Woolworths and they all pay the same price as the local milk bar and the cafe and things like that and um I remember when we first had a little conversation with Coles and look I'm not it's not we haven't done things you know through the proper channels it's all about wonderful connections and relationships we've had people with people but um when we were fueled obviously um <laughs> with a bit of anger when the dairy crisis happened and and I remember going to a meeting with someone from Woolworths and they were sort of talking about price and we said um no like this is the price and um and oh, look, we are so green, you know, like we, we had no idea. And um, we said, and I remember saying to the person at Woolies, I was like, yeah, well, how about taking off your $1 milk? It's totally disrespectful to the industry. It's disrespectful to farmers. Surely you are not getting the profit margin off that compared to what you would be getting off a bottle of Gippsland Jersey milk. Anyway, Steve, my, <laughs> Steve was kicking me under the table like going like, do we want this to happen or not? <laughs> um, and it's just been actually a wonderful thing to have the support of the two major supermarkets stocking us because that has enabled us to bring on more farmers and 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 for us to, I guess, to su- certainly survive with COVID. Um, and, um, yeah, we just need to pound the pavement a little bit more and get the word out with who we are because we certainly don't get the fridge space or the, we don't have the advertising or anything like that. So that's certainly a challenge for me um, to w- figure out without having a huge marketing budget. We just, we're just a small little, you know, brand back here in Gippsland. We don't have salespeople on the ground. Like when we often, we call up a shop, they'll go, Oh, could you send your sales rep in? I'm like, Oh, we're like four hours from Melbourne. <laughs> we don't have anyone on the ground. And, I think, um, yeah, we certainly, we can't compete in in that sort of um, world but we just have to, I guess, keep trying to, to stand out from the crowd and we've got our gold blingy labels and beautiful milk and just hope that enough people will know about us and incidentally, consumers are our marketing people because often someone, as you said before, will have a connection to our, our milk and they will, might, they might ten, tell 10 people, which then, you know, 10 more people buy bottles of our milk, which um, fuels our growth and fuels us to enable, enables
1: us to grow and bring more farmers on. There's no huge marketing budget to broadcast to potential new buyers, but that has its upside. Sally and Steve have warm and genuine relationships with so many of their customers. So we love it when
0: a consumer has a relationship with us, whether it be just following us on social media or they've met us at a farmer's market or they know one of our dairy farmers or they've had a milkshake, you know, whatever it is, Um, or they know someone that knows us. Like, you can't beat the connection of when 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 you are connected um people have lost their uncle and auntie and nana and pop that used to have arms and they used to visit oh you got someone at the door (laughs) um yeah so there is a loss of connection to food um which is a real shame because we obviously are on about farmers being paid a fair price, and it's really hard to justify when our ma- our milk is already a bit more expensive. Um, so it'll cost between you know five to ten cents extra per cup of coffee for that brewster to use our milk in their coffee, for example. So when we go in and speak to a cafe and they're like, "Yeah, but why would we choose to use this milk?" It's like, well, one, you're supporting local, and and. Oh, people love to just throw around i oh, support local but when you break it down and you realize what happens when that $1 is spent in a local region it gets turned over eight times which the you know the the economy benefits that that community benefits um, so we for example get all of our boxes made in nearham south by um, a family owned small business which yes probably costs us a few extra cents but it's worth it for us um we get all of our labels printed in melbourne we could go overseas and get them printed and it would save money but you know we would we just prefer to support local we use a smaller family uh, tanker driver just i guess we are quite mindful about where we put our money and then Obviously, that's passed on to the consumer. So we we are relying on that consumer to say we like what that company's on about. We like what Gippsland Jersey does. So we're gonna we're happy to pay that extra few cents at the checkout or in at the cafe to support that milk. And also, can I just mention the quality of milk is far far superior. You cannot get a better milk than a Jersey. Um, you know, it's it's we often get really good feedback about it to say.
1: It tastes like milk that we had growing up out of the vat for example. Gippsland Jersey takes pride in doing things differently, sourcing milk from small family farms, paying a fair price and value-adding already premium Jersey milk. It's about keeping money local, improving the emotional and mental well-being of dairy farmers and acts of kindness both random and intentional. And the milk Butter, ghee, and buttermilk is amazing too. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers, and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.